Okay, here we are. So last week, we were looking at the Last Supper, when Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Passover meal, and he institutes communion for the first time, in which he says that it represents the beginning of a brand new covenant, a way to have relationship with God, and that relationship with God is somehow linked to his death, that he himself is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that through his broken body and his shed blood, you and I can experience forgiveness, communion with him, communion with other believers, and that we are then empowered by him, right, in his spirit to go into this, into this world. And so his disciples are going to be discouraged because he's telling them, I'm going to suffer and die at the hands of wicked men. And so this is where we're picking up. This is, uh, I realize we're studying the Gospel of Luke, but I'm going to be pulling from all the Gospels today and kind of bringing them together to get a more complete story. And even though uh, this stuff will, will be skipping around, but it takes place over multiple chapters from multiple books, uh, chronologically, it all takes place within a handful of hours from dinner time when he has the Last Supper to the time in which he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and is about to get arrested. And so this is what Jesus says to his disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. He acknowledges that right troubled hearts would be a normal way to respond what they're, to what they're about to experience. He says, believe right in God and believe also in me. That Jesus thinks that belief in God and belief in him are somewhat equivalently wise ideas, uh, which if he wasn't God would be blasphemous for him to claim. But he also is suggesting that belief in God is a solution to troubled and sorrowful hearts. And it's not just a hope so, wishing that the world was this way, or that the world was a better place. But no, this is a very authentic and real experience. And Jesus himself is going to live this out as he himself will face anguish and grief over what was going to come in the next few hours. He says, In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And so not only does our response to heart trouble, uh, it, it's not only in our belief in God and our belief in Jesus, but it's also in looking up because our redemption draws near. It's also in looking forward to this future time in which we know we will be with Jesus for all of eternity. It's also because we look forward to him, unto him, the author and finisher of our faith, that he continues to be at work and he's doing good things on our behalf for our good and for his glory. He says this as he continues, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And so, yes, Jesus is acknowledging, and this is upsetting his disciples, that he is for a moment, for a brief season, going to leave them, so to speak. 
but he's not going to, as he says here, leave them as orphans. But, but the Father is going to give the Spirit. The Father is going to give the Holy Spirit who will dwell and live in us, and he'll be with us forever. We don't merely need to look forward to this future day in which we can be with God. But no, he's going to be with us in a more complete and even better way than Jesus could have been if his earthly ministry continued to this very day. He says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it it neither sees him nor knows him. And so here's this other theme that's taking place. It's not only this relationship that we have with God, that God has with us, that we have with the Spirit, this triune Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, but there's also our relationship with the world, which is going to be linked to the fact that we have troubled hearts, that we are discouraged, that we are grieved at times. And it's not just our relationship with God and our relationship with the world, but the world is unable to relate to God. It doesn't know God. It doesn't see God. And as a result, it's going to misunderstand Jesus. It's going to misunderstand us. But he says this, But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples in this moment. He says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. The ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And so we see that there's this other relationship. It's not just merely that the world is at work, but there's the ruler of this world. It's not just that humanity is out making their own decisions and deciding on their own whether or not something is right or wrong, but no, we are, apart from God, slaves to that which we obey. That, that's the way that Jesus describes it, that we, that we are slaves of sin, and that there is a ruler of this world who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy from humanity, who seeks to destroy Jesus in this particular day, this 24-hour period, and that he is the ruler of this world, that we as humans, we haven't been in charge of it, that we had unfortunately surrendered our dominion, and the enemy, for a moment, for a time, for a season, has been permitted to continue. But justice and judgment in God's kingdom will come more fully. Right, that we can place our hope in God. And so, before they leave the upper room, uh, this is interesting, they had sung a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so what's interesting, right, like Jesus is having communion with them, he's washing his disciples' feet, he's telling them in advance that one of them is going to betray him, all of these things. And then they sing a song. That in the moment of their discouraged hearts, Jesus and his disciples, these guys hanging out together, sing a song. And that this is a very real and authentic way that our worship unto God is a way to address our troubled hearts. 
It's a way to place our thinking in the right spot, that we're no longer looking to the cares of this world, but we are setting our minds on things above. That it's a way of reminding ourselves of right thinking and theology. And so this is what they did. They sing a song the night before Jesus died, and they continue to the Mount of Olives. And what's interesting is now John's gospel through John 15 through 18, they've already left the upper room and they're heading towards the Mount of Olives. And there's actually a whole lot of moments going on here where Jesus is teaching about he is the vine and we are the branches and all of these different things. He even takes a moment during that walk and stops to pray for his disciples and even for us. And I just want to like glean through this because this is all taking place in this handful of hours and that it lets us kind of emotionally connect to the disciples. That can we, we can realize the human experience that's taking place in this moment. Because oftentimes, right, even I've taught or preached from these passages, uh, disconnected, disjointed, not kind of letting them be experienced all in one continuous moment. And so Jesus, as he's saying all of these things, I'm just picking up on some themes that are consistent with what he's already said. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments, right, and abide in his love. And so this is one of the things that Jesus tells us to do. Just as he says, I do as the father commanded me, he's like, hey, you guys should keep my commandments and abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so in the midst of discouragement, grief, sorrow, troubled hearts, Jesus is telling them, obey God and stay in his love, remain in his love, right? And that's not necessarily what we think would bring us joy, but it brings us his joy, full joy, abundant joy. Joy is found not in living life our own way, not in living according to the cares of this world, but no, in obeying the Father, in loving God, in abiding in His love, just remaining in His presence, that that is one of the ways in which we can experience joy in the midst of a broken world. He continues with this theme. He says, the world hates you. Let's see, here we go. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Right? If, if you want to remain and abide in the love of the world rather than the love of the Father, this is how you do it. Live like the world. Right? Live like the world and the world will love you. But Jesus says, no, the world has hated me and it's going to hate you. It's, it, do, it hates Jesus because, right, it, it doesn't understand who God is. It doesn't understand his kingdom. But we are not of the world. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Right? The world hates you because Jesus chose us out of the world. Right? This is what Jesus chose for our lives. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
right? That Jesus was saying this, in fact, during the Last Supper in the upper room, he taught on this idea that a servant is not greater than his master, and he did so by washing his disciples' feet. And you might think like, oh, the world should love leadership like that, Jesus. The world should love someone who serves in that way. But no, they, the world is going to hate Jesus. Just as we should serve others, just the, way, the same way that he had washed the disciples' feet, we should serve and care for others, esteeming them of, of greater importance than ourselves. Likewise, because the world hated Jesus, they will also hate us. Because they persecuted Jesus, they will also persecute us. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name. But because they do not know him who sent me. All right, that the persecution once again will come about because of the name of Jesus and because they don't know the Father. Jesus continues, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. All right, keep you from falling away. And this is in a much more permanent sense because once he finishes this walk, he's actually going to tell them, you're all going to scatter this very night. Right? But he's trying to give them words that are actually going to remain in them and produce this abiding in Jesus. He says, they will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you, right, whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. It's not the case, but that's what they'll believe. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you, but that you may remember that I told them to you. Let's see. Let's see. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, but because I was with you. Let's see. Uh, here we go. Here we go. But... Now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And so we end up, once again, this discouragement, considering the fact that Jesus is leaving. And he tells them this, and he thinks it's worth telling them this, even though he knows that it's, it's causing them grief, it's causing them sorrow but Jesus is willing to do this because he's he wants to tell the truth he knows that this is necessary and not only is it true and good that he says this to us but he says it's to our, your advantage that he goes away for if I do not go away the helper will not come to you but if I go I will send him to you and so even though the disciples are filled with sorrow because Jesus is saying that he's leaving them. He's like, listen, this is actually better for you. That the Holy Spirit's going to be sent to you and he's, he's going to lead you into all truth. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Right? That he's saying that like the disciples couldn't handle this. They would be too discouraged if they knew everything. And I want to suggest that in that moment, right, they couldn't handle it. And Jesus didn't tell them everything. And likewise in our lives, 
when there are moments of uncertainty and discouragement and, and suffering and pain, that we might be right confused as to how all of these things are happening to us. But God might not tell us everything in those moments. That God may have many things he could tell us, but he chooses not to. And he's allowed to do that. And in those moments, we still should abide in his love. We still should obey the Father's commands, that those are good things for us to continue in. And we have sufficient reason to do so because of what he has told us. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Skipping on, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will leap, weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Right? That there's this opposition, opposite behavior between the followers of Jesus and the rest of the world. That when one is grieved, the other is rejoicing. He says, you will be sorrowful, but... And so this is, this is true. You will be sorrowful, Right? but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And so we see once again, this idea of joy in the midst of sorrow. Where did we see that before? Right, that Jesus wants his joy to be in us and that our joy may be full. That there's going to be a moment that appears as though, right, Jesus is defeated, his ministry is over, that this Messiah has failed. And there's gonna be great sorrow. But that sorrow is going to be turned to joy. That that grief is going to be replaced with full joy, complete joy. And that joy is going to remain and can never be taken away from us. He says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. That once our hearts are set in the right place. Once we have our minds set on Jesus, once we've believed and followed and obeyed and sought after him and his kingdom, once his spirit is dwelling in us, once we recognize the completion of God's plan through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we will have abundant, full, complete joy that cannot be taken away. That we don't need to be discouraged regardless of what this world is doing. He says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will, will receive that your joy may be full. And so once again, Jesus wants to bring us joy, but that joy may come through seasons of sorrow. That joy may come from unexpected places like obeying God rather than our own desires in the moment. But this is one of the things that Jesus came to do for us. He says, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And so this is one of the ways that we experience relationship with God and experience God's love that, we would, that he wants us to abide and remain in, is that we have loved Jesus and that we have believed that Jesus is in fact the Messiah that was sent by God. I came from the Father, 
and I came into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Right? And that Jesus is going to return to his Father. And his disciples, amusingly, they say, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things. Right? We know that you know all things. Uh oh, here we go. There it is. Whew. Hmm. There we are. I don't know. My pen's messing up. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why, this is why we believe that you came from God. And so Jesus answered them. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered. And so this is an unusual thing. You will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. And so his disciples, right, they don't want Jesus to leave, but he's saying, listen, you guys are all going to abandon me. He says, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And so even though his friends will fail in being the friends he needs them to be, Jesus is not alone in those moments. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Uh-oh, is this lagging? I hope not. All right, that in me you may have peace. And he says, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. Right, this is a command of Jesus. I have overcome the world. And so our hope is not in this world. In this world, we are guaranteed, promised difficulty and sorrow and grief and struggle that this world has been subjected in hope. But we can be encouraged. We can take heart, right? We can set our mind on things above that Jesus has overcome the world. And now Jesus, while he's walking, ends up praying. And so let's, let's see what he does. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven and says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life, right, to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. All right, that, that this is eternal life. It's not just the place that Jesus prepares for us. It's not just uh, having a life that never ends, but it's about knowing and experiencing God, abiding in him and his presence. Jesus says, I've glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. All right, accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so what's interesting about Jesus is he's claiming that he predated the world, all of creation, that the world was not always here, was not always like this, and that Jesus was not always a poor itinerant preacher, right? But he was glorified with the Father in what maybe we could describe as eternity past. 
While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of perdition or destruction. Uh, I'm thinking of another verse here. Uh, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And so Jesus is saying all of these things on his walk to the garden, right? I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so Jesus is not of the world, and neither are we, right? That we are not to be of this world. That there's this weird relationship between us and the Father and the world and the world us, and they're going to hate us, and that's, that's okay. We don't need to be discouraged because of the things that are happening in this world. And then Jesus continues praying. I do not ask only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That Jesus wasn't just praying for his disciples that were present that day, 2,000 years ago. He's praying for us, for you and I. He prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. That Jesus, he prays the night before he died, that we would be united in our relationship, not only with God, but with one another. And that as a result of right, the transformation that we experience, the good news that we proclaim, that the world may begin to believe. Those who are in the world may eventually come to know that Jesus was in fact sent by the Father. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Right? And so Jesus desires that he would be in us, his spirit would be in us, his love would be in us, we would abide in his love. And he prays this for us. He stops and lifts his head up to the Father, right? In prayer as he's heading towards the garden. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And so now here's when he's in the garden. Right, so this is all in the same evening. They had the Last Supper. He establishes communion. Right, he washes their feet. They leave. He's talking to them and teaching them the whole time. He even stops for a moment and prays to the Father. And now they get to the garden. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Right? That they are going to fall away for the night, as it, as it is written. Right? You will all fall away just for that, for that night, this night is when it's going to happen. That Jesus is going to be struck and his disciples are going to be discouraged. And what's interesting is, right, just at the Last Supper when he told them that there would be one who would betray him, they all were asking the question, Lord, is it I? 
they considered that possibility for a moment. But now, when he says this, they actually don't believe him. Let's see. But he says, but after I have been raised. Okay, and so Jesus definitely believed that he was going to be resurrected. I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, Peter says, Peter said, I will never fall away. That Peter is doubting the scripture, he's doubting the claims of Jesus. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. Sorry, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you. All right. And so, so Peter has this concept, right? He says, I'll not de deny you. And then all of the disciples start saying the same thing too. And so they're all of the belief, like, no, we've got this. We're not going to give up on Jesus, right? We're going to go with Jesus to the very end. But Jesus knows that their hearts have been sorrowful, right? He knows that they're discouraged. He's sung songs with them. He's prayed with them. And what's interesting is Jesus himself knows that they're all going to fail him. But Jesus still is praying for them. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. All right. And so Jesus has taught them this prayer before, right? Lead us not into temptation. And Jesus is now saying, do this again. Like when you or I enter moments of temptation, it's not opportunity for us to seek after that. No, in those moments, we continue to obey God. We continue to look for the way of escape. And that in those moments when it's difficult, our obedience, our abiding in God's love will still produce in us great joy, full joy. Right? That it's not like, it's like, oh, I should just give in to temptation because that's the easy way out. It's going to be the thing that makes me happy. No, that's not what Jesus has been teaching us. Right? He's saying that our joy will be full when we resist temptation. Then Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray. And so Jesus is going to go pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. And so Jesus is now experience, experiencing sorrow and grief and brokenness. And then he, he said to them, all right, check this out. To them. Jesus, in a moment of grief, he says to his friends, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. That Jesus tells his friends. When he is discouraged, he reaches out to his friends for help. Right? That when you or I are in seasons of difficulty, we can reach out to our friends that we would receive God's comfort in those moments, that we would receive godly comfort and encouragement from fellow believers. Jesus led the way. Jesus is our example. When he was grieved to the point of death, he reached out to his friends for help. Now, I want to point out, yeah, his friends all failed him, but that still wasn't uh, an excuse for Jesus to, to give up and to just completely lean in to this discouragement, 
to be able to be permitted to, to wallow in pity. No, Jesus still sought the Father in these moments. And so then what did Jesus do? He, I like uh, Luke's account, he says he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. Right, and, right so he's, he's separated himself. He knelt down and began to pray. In fact, uh, let's see, uh, Matthew's account said he fell on his face and prayed. And that's not a contradiction. He probably just did both of those things, not simultaneously. And he began to pray. Uh, in Mark's account, he's, he actually says this phrase, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so notice this declaration of faith. God, you can do everything. But I understand that I want your will to be accomplished in this moment. God, you have the authority to change my reality. But I'm going to submit my life to you. I'm not going to take what I want. I'm not going to do what I want in this moment. I'm going to yield my life to you and obey you in this moment. Right. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And what's great is even though Jesus's friends fail him, it says an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. All right. And we've actually seen this happen before in, uh, I forget if it's Matthew 4 or Luke chapter 4. But after Jesus is fasting and praying in the desert for 40 days and experiences temptation, after the enemy uh, leaves him for an opportune time, the angels come and minister to Jesus. All right, that just because at times the church or the body of Christ has maybe failed to, to serve or love or reach or comfort you in your time of need, it still does not mean that you're alone. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And so I want to point out, right, Jesus is in distress, in agony. He's grieved. His sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Right? Jesus has, in this moment, a troubled heart. But he takes responsibility in that moment and prays all the more. He abides in the presence of the Father all the more. Right? Jesus prays fervently in that moment. And now we can see, you know, confirmation with uh, Matthew's account where he's falling down upon the ground in prayer. And so Jesus, he then comes to his disciples and he found them sleeping and he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour, right? Jesus is discouraged and he's kind of calling his friends out on this fact. And right, you might be like, oh, look at them. They're just, you know, they're sleeping. They were just tired. But Luke's account gives us a little bit more insight. It says that he found them sleeping from sorrow, that his disciples are grieved at the idea of Jesus dying, Jesus leaving them, right? Their hearts are troubled. This is what Jesus has been talking to them about the entire evening. They are sleeping from sorrow out of heartbreak 
they've they've just collapsed that their their flesh has failed while their spirits are right stronger right or the what, what's the phrase here watch and pray that you may not enter temptation the spirit is indeed weak this or the uh, spirit is willing but the flesh is weak is what he says here in other other translations right he says why are you sleeping get up right get up let's see it looks like i actually have a a glitch in this let me read this middle one watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation right jesus is reminding them this is what you need to be doing in these moments that when you're discouraged when you are sorrowful you need to be responsible for yourself right others may fail you at times but god will not fail you others may disappoint you and not live up to your expectation but God will not fail you. He is with you. And you're being commanded. And obeying those commands will bring about joy. And he says what? Watch and pray. And he went away again and prayed, saying the same words. And so what are these words, right? My father, if, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done, is what Matthew's account is saying. Jesus is desiring that there be any other way for humanity to be saved, that the Messiah would not have to die, that he wouldn't have to suffer at the hands of wicked men and die on the cross, that more than any person has ever wished, Jesus desired that there would be another way for salvation. Right? Many think that it's offensive, right? The world hates, I'll put it that way that Jesus is the only way to the Father. They feel that that's too exclusive, right? That's way too uh, prideful for Christians to be able to, to dare to claim that their religious belief is the right one. But I want to point out, Jesus wanted another way for salvation more than anyone ever has. And God's answer to that question, as Jesus has prayed this, he prays this three times. The answer to the question is, no, this is the only way. But what Jesus is willing to say is, your will be done. And again, he finds them sleeping. For the, Now it says, right, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. Like, sorry, like, I don't know how to justify my actions, Jesus, right? Yeah, that's on us. That's on us. And he came a third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? right after he continued to pray. And he says, it is enough, right? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And so Jesus' disciples had right three opportunities to encourage their friends, to comfort their friend. And even though Jesus' friends failed him, he still chose to obey. He didn't use it as an excuse. He didn't accuse God and saying like, God, if you really wanted me to succeed, my friends would have been better at this. No, he chooses to obey. And then the last time when he wakes them up, he says, the hour is at hand. 
and now all of this is in motion, Jesus could have chosen to escape, but he didn't. Just as he had been all week long, he'd been right teaching in the temple and going back to the same garden in the evenings to sleep, to rest. And as a result, Judas knew exactly where to find him. But Jesus didn't change his strategy. Jesus wasn't going to hide from God's will for his life. And it was for the joy that was set before him that he endures all of this, even though he wished there was another way. But for the joy that was set before him, he endures the cross. That you and I would find our hope in him, that we would believe in him, that we would trust in him and be saved. So what were the themes that we saw in today's message? That the disciples, like us, will have troubled hearts and sorrow. We'll have moments in which we're grieved, in which we might not even understand why God is permitting it. Right? They were sorrowful that Jesus was leaving. Right? That he had told them this, and sorrow filled their hearts. But he told them the truth because it was to their advantage. It was the right thing to tell the truth, and it was to their advantage that the Holy Spirit would come. He also knew their limits. He didn't tell them everything because he knew they couldn't bear it. And he recognized that they were going to experience momentary sorrow while the rest of the world was rejoicing. And then Jesus himself experiences grief, distress, agony, to the point of death, to the point of sweating drops of blood. Right? Just because we decide to follow Jesus doesn't mean that we won't experience moments like that. In fact, in the same passages, Jesus told them, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, because he has overcome the world. And that's what Jesus continues to echo and resound in their minds as he talks to them about joy that can be found in God, in His presence. Joy that comes from unexpected places and joy that can never be taken from us. Joy that is full, that is His joy. And how do we experience that? By believing in Jesus the same way that we do God, in trusting what Jesus says, in looking to this future hope that we have in Jesus, that He is preparing a place for us, that we could be with Him forever. That we can have joy because we have this helper, God's Spirit, living in us. And that we're never alone. That we can have joy and sing songs and hymns and worship God, even when we're in moments of grief and despair. That we can set our minds on God. And even though our thoughts might be racing and be tempted to, to lean into the cares of this world, but we can take those thoughts captive. We can fill our minds and our hearts with song and praise and worship to God. That joy comes from obeying God, even in moments of temptation and moments of grief and sorrow. That we don't use those as an excuse to go and live our own way. But no, we live contrary to the world, contrary to the ruler of this world. We obey God and abide in His love. And as a result, our joy is full. Jesus says, yes, you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy, and no one can take your joy. You can ask and receive from the Father in His name that your joy will be full. 
Jesus speaks to us, predicts the future, that future is fulfilled. And the reason he does these things is so that our joy would be fulfilled. And then even when friends would fail us, but so often we can experience God's comfort and joy in the midst of sorrows because of the body of Christ that he's placed us in, because of the family that he's brought us into, that not only do we have relationship with God, but we have relationship with one another. And he talks about this issue with the world, that this is going to be a very real thing that we need to make up our minds as we decide to follow Jesus, that the world will at times hate us just as it hated Jesus on account of his name, because they don't know the Father, because they don't know how the, that Jesus loved the Father and did as he commanded, because they don't know Jesus. On account of the word that Jesus has given, they'll hate us. That because Jesus wasn't of the world and neither are we, we will not be received or welcomed by the world. Jesus came into this world to rescue and redeem. Jesus said that in this world we'll have tribulation. And Jesus was glorified before the world existed and will continue long after this world has fallen. Right? That Jesus' words will outlast heaven and earth. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will remain. And so regardless of how the world is treating us, we don't need to be discouraged. Our identity does not need to be found in it. Our hope should not be placed in this world, nor the cares of this world, nor the deceitfulness of riches, but we should set our hopes on God because he loves us and he has made a way for us to know him and experience him, to live with him, to be with him for all of eternity. And that we can have his joy. One of the things that Jesus did was he prayed to the Father in moments of discouragement. He prayed for his disciples that they would be able to withstand discouragement. He modeled for them prayer. He encouraged them to, to wake up, to be alert, to be on watch and pray that they themselves would not fall into temptation. Right? That Jesus prayed in order to have the strength to obey the Father in the midst of temptation himself. And Jesus, when he was in agony and sorrow and grief, he prayed all the more. He prayed fervent prayers unto God. And the reason that Jesus chose to do all of these things the reason that Jesus chose to come into this world, the reason that Jesus chose to drink this cup of judgment is so that he could offer to us eternal life. That he could offer to us forgiveness of sins. That we could know God, that we could be with him. Right? That it's not just about living forever. It's not even just about being where he is. It's about knowing who he is. And that is something that we can experience not just when we die, but that's something that we can know and experience right now with certainty and hope that we can believe on account of what he's done for us and on account of the things that he declared before they even happened. That we can trust Jesus through all things.
things and that we can obey him through all of these things and experience the freedom that God grants us that we would no longer be slaves of sin. So church, I pray that you would be encouraged today that Jesus led a life in which he prayed through suffering and discouragement, that Jesus taught us how to live. He didn't just teach, but he modeled it, and that we don't need to be discouraged in any of these ways. We can sing, we can abide in God's presence, we can abide in his word, we can spend time with him in prayer. So let's pray before we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done, all the work that you've done in our lives. We thank you that you've given us your word. You've preserved your word that we can know you through it. You've given us your spirit that we can be led into all truth. That your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you bring to us the words that are declared in the presence of the Father. I thank you, Lord, that we can have hope in the midst of this world that Jesus you've overcome that Lord we can experience everything that you intend for us that we can obey in the midst of difficulty I pray God that you would help us to resist temptation to pray against it to to seek the way of escape I pray that God that you would continue to build us up your church Help us to be equipped by your word, encouraged by one another, that we would stir one another up towards love and good works. And I thank you, Lord, that you came to, to live and die and be raised on our behalf. I thank you that the, the night before you died, you thought of us. You didn't just pray for your disciples, but you prayed for us. And so, God, we can be encouraged. We can know you. We can walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. All right, church. Well, take care. Let us know how we can be praying for you. Let us know if there's any way we can help you in this season and continue to seek after God. Take care.